Welcome to the Cornell Tech at Bloomberg podcast, in which we bring you conversations we've had during our monthly speaker series held at Bloomberg's global headquarters in New York City. Cornell Tech at Bloomberg brings together students from Cornell Tech, Bloomberg employees, and members of New York's technology community to hear from entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders, luminaries from the global technology sector. Anjali Sood was exposed to entrepreneurialism at a young age, but rather than build her own company, she sought to leverage her talents to grow an existing business. I'm Scarlett Fu with Bloomberg News, and in this episode, we chat with the CEO of Vimeo. She discusses the importance of pursuing one's career goals, how she managed Vimeo's successful shift from a media company to a technology company, and why she chose to focus its business on video creators rather than viewers. I'm thrilled for this evening's conversation because, as Monica mentioned, we do use Vimeo here at Bloomberg. But in terms of my own personal experience, I was kind of thinking back to when I've used it. And I recorded a segment for my brother's one-man comedy show a few years ago. And where did my producer post it? On Vimeo. Uh, My brother also made an audition video for a scholarship. And where did he post it? On Vimeo. So there's a theme here. You get the picture. So I've been really curious to learn more about Vimeo, the company and the woman who runs it, or has been running it for the past year and a half, and Anjali Sud has uh, made herself available to speak with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. So let's get started with your backstory, because what really strikes me is how deliberate and strategic you were in everything you pursued, starting with your own high school education. Let's start there. Sure. Um, Yeah, so I uh, I grew up in Michigan, Flint, Michigan, and uh, when I was uh, 13 years old, uh, I decided that you know I wanted to experience more of the world outside of the community that I knew, um, and I wanted a better education than the one I was getting. And so uh, I ended up leaving home at 14 to go to a boarding school in Massachusetts, Andover, right? Uh, and, Andover, um, which you know where I was able to get an incredible education. But um, it was a it was kind of a fluke. I just went to a Barnes and Nobles with my dad and like bought a book on schools in the US and applied to 15 of them. I had no idea that I was going to be going to this like crazy, you know, prep school with Ivy on the walls. You know, it was it was a totally different experience, but um, but I really I felt like I wanted to get out there and, ex- and experience more of the world. And so I did sort of leave home, which was really hard. And uh, what I think was awesome about it looking back is it sort of forced me to experience failure really early. How so? Um, well, I, I just was uh, way underprepared, I think, when I got there. Um, and I, my first you know, half of the year, I failed most of my classes. I was really like a kind of underwater. Um, and I had wonderful teachers and like a community that helped support me, helped me catch up. Um, and eventually, when I graduated, like I, was, I had gone through this sort of period of you know, failing, feeling like I couldn't make it and then finally graduating, uh, and it sort of gave me this resilience, mm-hmm. which I have tapped into so many times, and you know, stepping into be CEO of Vimeo, my first time in, in a role like that, uh, the number of times that I remember feeling overwhelmed, or I'm not really quite sure how, you know, how, what to do right now, and being able to say, well, let me think back to my 14-year-old self, and you know, she could do that, so you can do this. And from a young age, you also knew that you wanted to work in business. You wanted to run a company. What's interesting here is we hear so many uh, of our guests who come through the Cornell Tech at uh, Bloomberg Speaker Series, and they all say that they all knew that they wanted to start their own company, be their own boss, right? Create something from scratch. You've been very deliberate about wanting to do the opposite, which is to work and grow an existing business. Why was that so much more attractive than building and creating your own thing? So uh, it's true, you know. I, I, I and when I was in school, you know, there were so many people around me who were becoming entrepreneurs and doing their own thing, and I think that's an incredible, incredible feat. Um, what I, I remember being in, in college, and I had this job where I was helping small businesses in the Philadelphia area who ha- were working on their businesses, helping them with their business plans, and uh, I just loved, I loved the idea of supporting an entrepreneur or supporting someone who had this idea that they were so passionate about and taking all of the lessons I had learned and my experience and helping to bring that to more people in the world. And you know, ultimately, um, I think that the characteristics of good entrepreneurs 
that can be applied to companies of all sizes mm -hmm. and all stages of growth. Um, and uh, I actually think you know that's something I've, we focus on at Vimeo, but I think you see that a lot nowadays in more and more of the companies that are coming out into the world is, is how do we take that entrepreneurial mindset? Um, how do we move scrappy, scrappily? How do we disrupt ourselves? Mm -hmm. um, how do we think long-term? Um, you know, those are all principles that I think are valuable for any business. And of course, you also had some personal history as well with entrepreneurship because your father ran his own business and you got a sense of what it meant to, to do your own thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up, yeah, I grew up with my dad being so passionate about his business, uh, which, is, it's, which is still there today. It's a plastics recycling plant in Flint. And, you know, I, I was raised with this idea that business can have a positive impact on your community. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I love my job so much is for Vimeo, we focus so much on the creator community and how we can support them. And so it does feel, for me, like coming full circle, just sort of from the time I watched him doing what he was doing to doing what I am now. You were also very deliberate in terms of what you did after graduation. You said you went to school in Philadelphia at UPenn, Wharton. Um, you then went on to investment banking rather than to an operational role at a company. Why did you choose that path? Why was it so important for you to, to you know, get your hands dirty with the numbers and yeah. spreadsheets and you know, being on Team Xerox at an investment bank? Yeah, um, yeah. It was funny. I uh, I never thought of myself as an investment banker, but uh, but I was very deliberate about wanting to get that skill set. And look, I think it, it comes from a lot of ways. One, I saw my dad working in a business that was very thin margins, where like you had to understand your cash flow and manage it all the time. And uh, I think I just generally had a feeling that if you want to be a, a, you know, a business leader, you have to be very fluent and well-versed in, um, in how uh, value moves around, how to manage businesses in a sustainable way, how to invest and make big bets. And so um, I did investment banking, and specifically I did mergers and acquisitions. Mm. Um, and I was very interested in, in sort of trying to identify the patterns between, you know, acquisitions that add a lot of value and you know ones that don't work out um, and in, interestingly when I became CEO of Vimeo uh, you know in my first 90 days we did a big acquisition um, and it was so helpful having been in that sort of investment banking seat before to help kind of navigate that um, that doesn't mean that's the obviously like you know you need to do uh, M&A in order to grow but the, a lot of the principles, again, are the same. It's how do you look at a business critically, understand what kind of synergies you can get, and then how do you actually execute it in a way that makes a lot of sense. Do you think that working in banking held you back? Because at some point you wanted to make the transition from working in finance to being an operator, to, to working in, in a business. And you had to convince someone that you were up for the job. Yeah, it, I found it, candidly, I found it hard to transition. Yes, I think when you... Uh, you get kind of pigeonholed into one thing. And I remember um, trying to get a summer internship. I went to business school to transition because I couldn't really do it on my own without taking a big step back. And I was trying to get jobs at all these startups. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, your startup, you can't afford to teach an intern how to do something. You want you want to bring in people who can help you. And like, all I could really do was finance, and I didn't want to do that. And so it was hard. I, I literally couldn't find a startup in New York that would <laughs> give me an opportunity to do an operating job. So, um, so for me, you know, what I ended up doing was I sort of found roles that were kind of allowed me sort of step function wise to transition. So I went from mergers and I went from banking to I did internal mergers and acquisitions at Time Warner. Mm -hmm. um, then I went to business development, so more strategic partnerships at Amazon. And then from there, I was able to convince the team at Amazon to let me jump into an operating role. And that role for me, I started as a toy buyer. So uh, literally, I was, um, I was at the trade shows at the Javits Center um, with all the toy companies, um, learning about all these different brands and putting in orders and negotiating price. And that was my first real operating gig. Uh, and it took me like five, you know, five different steps to get there, um, but it was it was awesome. I want to go back to that idea that you said a lot of the companies don't have the wherewithal or the resources or the time to train someone to be an operator. What it just wasn't pragmatic for them is is that the reason why? I mean, it's not because you don't have the chops or the intellectual ability. It's just they didn't have the time to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I just think when you're for most startups, you know, you're 
if you're looking for interns, it's because you, you know, usually you're growing so fast, you're running so lean, um, you want someone who can jump in and help you, and there's five other people that want to do the internship. And so when your background is like, I'm really good at financial modeling, and, but you're looking for someone you know, to do something very different, I just think it was, it was a competitive environment. Um, and I, look, I think the lesson for everyone generally is, of course you can transition mm -hmm. in your career, and you can transition at any time in your career. And I've done it a bunch. It doesn't mean it's easy. And sometimes you have to take you know, a, a non-traditional path or a circuitous path. Um, but as long as you're learning something and you're kind of, you keep your eye on where you eventually want to go, I think for the most part you can get there. So what did you learn um, from the culture at Amazon? It's a very specific culture uh, that you have brought with you to Vimeo that you can apply to what you've done at Vimeo. Yeah, um, I learned a lot from my time at Amazon. And um, I think some of the, the things that probably stick with me the most, uh, obviously the customer obsession. You know, I think you know Amazon has always been very focused on um, start with the customer. So every product that's launched, you know, I remember we I would write you'd write a press release from the view of the customer, and then you'd work backwards before um, you did anything else. You'd write the press you, release. Yeah, you start with the press release. I, I think they still do that today, um, but certainly while I was there, um, and that sort of focus on the customer. And then if you think about their business model, you know, every cost savings that they get, they're trying to push that through in price to the end customer. And, I just think that idea that if you serve the customer, you will grow a good business, mm -hmm. that sort of philosophy was, was very consistent at Amazon. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that at Vimeo, you know, we, we are trying to do. We are trying to put the creator uh, first. Um, and there's a belief that if we do that, that will translate into higher customer satisfaction and more retention, and that's good for the business. And of course, all right, there's customer obsession. Amazon also collects a ton of data. As anyone who logs into their <laughs> Amazon account knows, yeah. stuff pops up randomly all yeah. the time, very deliberately, yeah. not even randomly. Yeah. So uh, talk a little bit about the data and, and what you've learned from Amazon and whether you use it at, at Vimeo or not to monetize. Yeah, um, so I think obviously Amazon, very data-driven, and really in two ways. There's the internal use of data, so how do we internally use data to make smarter decisions and be more productive uh, and efficient. And then there's the external use, so the using of data to improve the customer's experience. And um, I think, you know, at Vimeo we have, we've invested heavily in sort of our business intelligence function. So like how do we understand what's happening on our site? How do we use the data we collect from how people behave on our site, the tools that they use, the videos that get viewed, all of that data, how do we use that to make smart business decisions? And then how are we actually going to actually build products around it? Mm -hmm. And what I'd say is I think we've done a very good job at this stage on the internal side. So you know, we, we do have a very good understanding of what's happening on the platform. And it's a platform at scale, but understanding what's happening. What I think you're going to see more from us in the, in the future is how are we taking that data and helping more people succeed with video? Right? How are we funneling that into relevant insights for creators at every stage of their workflow that helps them make videos that will get more engagement and more clicks. And um, a great example is we launched a tool that allows you to natively publish your videos from within Vimeo uh, to all the social media platforms, so Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and YouTube. Um, and so now we collect all that data back. Mm -hmm. And so how are we using that to actually help you as a creator know that if you make these tweaks to um, your content, you will actually get more engagement and more clicks um, on these platforms. So that's an, an example of how we can use data to improve the customer experience, and I do think that's something that Amazon does very well. And that data, will it become a revenue driver for you guys? Do you see that leading to more paths for you in terms of making money? No, look, I mean, so our business model is um, it's a subscription model. It's software as a service, right? SaaS business, similar to like a Dropbox or a Slack. Um, so our creators, you know, they can use the service for free. They can also, if they want to unlock additional tools and features, they pay for a membership plan. Mm -hmm. um, that's how we monetize, and that's how we expect to continue to monetize. Uh, and we have no plans to kind of add on um, sort of anything outside of that. But the idea is that, you know, if we're providing those insights, that's just another tool that just makes the service more valuable in general. Um, you know, we, we are an ad-free platform, so we don't monetize, um, you know, through advertising, and we don't have any plans to change that. 
Okay, you, uh, Monica mentioned that you started off at marketing. I did, yeah. yeah. Um, this was back in 2014. So After like doing 10 other things, but yeah. <laughs> after doing 10 other things. Yeah. What was your impression of Vimeo when you first joined? Because it was a very different company back in 2014 than what it is now. Yeah, um, I, well, I remember the reason I joined Vimeo was that I thought video in general was going through a lot of innovation and change, sort of the same way e-commerce had gone through innovation and change 10 years ago, that's what was happening with video. And I was intrigued by the fact that Vimeo had this very unique business model. They were not, they were not ad supported like all the other video platforms out there. And so I was, I was very interested in how that model could scale and work. Mm -hmm. um, and I think generally, uh, what, there were a couple things that I thought were really surprising. One, Vimeo had grown so organically um, and, and in a very, sort of very product driven, very user driven, and that's, I wanted to be part of a company like that because I, I thought those were, that was a really good thing in their DNA. Um, at the time that I joined, we were sort of going through a strategic um, exploration, and in particular, during the time that I was there, we, we explored investing in original content ourselves. Be like a Netflix. To be like a Netflix. Um, and the reality is what had happened is we, we had built tools for creators. Those creators brought their content to Vimeo. That content drew audience and eyeballs. And suddenly you're sitting on a platform that has, you know, hundreds of millions of viewers. And so you start to say, oh, you know, can we do like that? Like a gold mine. It's a, yeah. And look, I mean, I, I don't, I think that that made sense as a, as a strategy to explore. Um, during the time that I was there, though, I think it became really clear that, that Look, the the uh, stakes in original content. You know, people were investing billions of dollars in original content, and there were all these other platforms out there that were solving that need for audiences. And I, what I what I saw, and I think where we eventually went, is everyone was focused on the viewer experience and on the content. But what about all the people that had to make that content? And um, the sort of let's focus on the people behind the camera. And I think what we found is that the definition of a video creator had, had changed. It used to be you had to be a filmmaker um, or an AV professional, um, and now it's it's really everyone. And Anyone every, with a phone. Everyone with a phone. And it's and in particular, what we found is a lot, there was a, des a desire, particularly among like small businesses and even large businesses and um, YouTube fan stars, like there was a lot of a desire to create professional quality video um, because audiences expect it, right? Our audiences' expectations have gone up. And suddenly now, you know, if you want to have a video strategy as a small business, you need to be creating video for social media that has a shelf life of five days. And that video has to be engaging and high quality. Um, and so the stakes have just changed and technology has sort of made it possible for us to lower the barriers for quality storytelling. And nobody, no other platform was focused on those creators and how we could empower them with technology. And so. We just saw an opportunity um, to do that and to focus on that. And the power of focus—you know—you can do so much when you when you're really clear about who you serve. And so when I stepped in as CEO, it was really to focus Vimeo on being we, what we say internally is creator first, mm -hmm. which is every decision we make is always through the lens of the creator. Um, and I think what we've seen, you know, certainly from sort of the feedback we've gotten from our community as well as just in our business in general. Mm -hmm is that that does seem to be a real need. Uh, it's just fundamentally still too hard today to really produce quality video at scale and succeed with it. And um, you know that, that's the future. Yeah. So, uh, so I think that's why we're so excited about the strategy. And the barrier to entry is pretty high as well. So while everyone else was focused on making Vimeo the next Netflix or the next Amazon Prime, um, you were focusing on the creator first. How long did that divergence of attention go on for? Um, it was, it probably went on for a few years, but I was, uh, I was effectively given an opportunity for one year mm -hmm. um, to sort of run the creator side of our platform. And, you know, look, the reality was um, I was given an opportunity to do something I didn't have a lot of experience in. I went from running marketing to running a team across product and engineering and support. And How many people? Uh, it was about 50, um, and which was huge for me. I mean, you know, I'd Come in to manage a team of five, so I, I, you know, I was at that point. I was felt, you know, like this was an amazing experience. But the reality is, I was, I was looking where others weren't looking, right? Mm -hmm. So when I sort of had this, I, this idea of something that I wanted to do, it was fairly low risk since that wasn't the the focus to kind of give me 
an opportunity to sort of build up that team and see what we could do. And in that year, um, we started investing much more heavily in tools for creators. Um, and what we found was that you know, our, our customer satisfaction scores doubled in six months. And um, that business just started to really see traction. Mm -hmm. And so I think that combined with skyrocketing costs of original content and all the competition in that space sort of made it easy to eventually say, you know what? What if we took all of Vimeo's focus and attention and all of our teams and we committed ourselves wholly to this creator-first strategy? Um, what could we build? Mm -hmm. And and so that's when I think it sort of made sense. So um, you were given resources to build out your part of the business. Yeah. Did you use the resources for advertising? Is that how you got other creators to learn about you, or was it all word of mouth? Um, word of mouth is, uh, you know, is obviously sort of the, the most successful way that we have built awareness um, at Vimeo. Uh, we did sort of test other ways. I mean, one of the biggest is we have this huge community, um, you know, millions and millions of creators, and many of them over the years, you know, they didn't they didn't know about the new tools we were building. So actually, it's funny. I, I actually think our website and our emails, like all of the tools that we use to communicate with our users, was probably the most effective way hmm. for people to find out about our strategy. Um, and it's a, to even today, it's a huge area of opportunity for us. Um, so is so is marketing and advertising. The reality is, most people today still think of Vimeo as a destination mm -hmm. to watch videos um, or sort of the high-end YouTube. Um, and the reality is, we have changed. You know, we are a uh, software as a service technology platform, and we're we aren't a destination as much anymore as we are an enabler for you to get your videos. Um, out there, everywhere, and that's why we have integrations with YouTube, and we have integrations with Facebook, and we really, again, if you're if you're thinking about it through the lens of the creator, you shouldn't have to choose where your video goes. You shouldn't think, oh, should I post my video on YouTube or Vimeo? That's not the world we live in today, um, and so you just assume it's going to be posted everywhere. It needs, to, yeah, you want your content to be everywhere, and or you want to control exactly how it's how it's um, perceived and the quality in which it's viewed, and all of that. Everyone has different needs, but certainly the idea that you should have to choose one platform or another just doesn't work in today's world. Platform agnostic. Platform agnostic, and it's extremely important because if you think about, if you are a social media platform, you are a destination. Mm -hmm. You want to keep eyeballs on your platform because you're making advertise. You need those ad dollars, and so um, who who then is helping that creator be everywhere? Uh, and so that's an opportunity for us. We kind of say to be the Switzerland for creators. <laughs> An admirable goal here. Yeah. Let's talk about the content side for a moment because we talk about Netflix and how the cost of uh, creating that content has soared. It's like an arms race with all these <laughs> different companies. How do you see this playing out? Because at some point, shareholders or the company are going to have to say, wait a minute, we got to rethink this strategy. Yeah. Um, look, I think that there isn't going to be a, sort of a winner take all in mm -hmm. this market. Um, but I do think scale is going to enable some companies to make it in the long term. Like there are, there are going to be a few companies that can probably afford to keep spending that amount of money on original content and eventually have a sustainable business model. Um, what I think is really interesting is you'll, I, I expect you'll see that sh continued shift from traditional cable and traditional television to uh, sort of over-the-top services. Um, and what I suspect is that you'll have a couple big ones. You know, we all have our, we'll have our Netflix account, our Amazon account. Um, I do think an interesting thing, I don't know if I would have expected this, but we're actually seeing it on our own platform, is there's also this flourishing ecosystem of um, smaller niche content creators who are going direct to their audiences. And actually, we, Vimeo, we have sort of a Vimeo OTT product where we allow anyone to build their own Netflix. Um, in a matter of days, they can set up their own channel mm. and charge whatever they want for that content and have their own branded website and TV apps and mobile apps. And um, we have, it's, a, it's a nascent kind of opportunity for us, but we have over 700 channels today doing that. And they're finding audiences because their content is so specific to, it's, it's just not the same as being in sort of a mass service. And so. My bet um, is what you'll see is a couple big players really dominate 
um, the sort of general viewing, general content space. But I think there's still going to be a lot of room for uh, some individual content creators who, who, you know, they want to have their own business and their own storefront. And um, before, you couldn't do that because you would have had to spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on a team of engineers. Well, now, platforms like Vimeo, we're, we're removing that barrier for the technology. And so, you know, if you're, if you are a yoga instructor and you have millions of followers on YouTube and you want to now build your own business using video, you should be able to do that. Who are your creators? You mentioned the yoga instructor. Talk about the, the, the breakdown of individuals versus established businesses versus Fortune 500 companies. Yeah. Um, it's extremely diverse from the sort of individual, there's like the GoPro dad to the filmmaker um, to the, the small business to the Fortune 500. Um, and uh, what we've seen though is that over time, organically, we are seeing more and more uh, in particular, small businesses, small to medium-sized businesses, are starting to again adopt video more, more and more, and it makes sense, right? You know, if you want to get, if you want to reach an audience on Facebook, they're prioritizing videos in their feed, right? And we see that with on-demand video, we see that with live video, um, and so if you want to get your message out there and you want someone to click on your video or see your post, you need to have need to be using the, the, um, this medium. And so we are seeing a lot more, uh, just more of a shift towards uh, businesses uh, of all sizes. We do offer a very flexible suite of tools. So we do have, we have Fortune 500 companies mm -hmm. that are using us for everything from live streaming their company all hands to training videos to com the commercials for their brand. Um, we have that. And then we have, um, your local school, your local coffee shop, um, all using video as well. What surprises you the most about the customers that you have as you learn more and more about them? You know, I think probably what surprises me the most is there's there's always this, I think there's sometimes this feeling of there's B2C and there's B2B and, you know, businesses are, um, because it's it's a business and you're using video, there's a, that they have a certain, um, approach to to video and what I would say is what I is that video is about storytelling right and it's about creativity and it doesn't matter if you are uh, a filmmaker or a, a mom uh, you know who is taking videos of your kid or uh, someone as the CTO at a fortune 500 company at the end of the day like you are trying to tell a story mm -hmm. and I think what surprises me is the creativity that I see on the platform, despite that like shift in how all these different types of um, users are now using our tools, at the end of the day, it's still about creativity. And uh, that, I think, is very inspiring. And it's very aligned with, I think, Vimeo's roots. Um, you know, we, we want to empower creators to tell their best and most exceptional stories. And so it's nice to feel like we're still doing that and actually doing that even more. And storytelling, of course, comes from your roots as a marketer originally at Vimeo as well. Yeah. Um, you, you turned you became a CEO very quickly after joining the company. When did you realize that you had a shot at the top job? Uh, when they offered it to me. <laughs> were you, were you uh, raising your hand for it? I mean, is this something that you thought maybe you had a shot at, or did it come to you know, by complete surprise? I, I, it's funny because I've, I've been so deliberate in so many parts of my career, uh -huh. and I, I feel it's like silly that I now, but I, you know, I didn't really. I didn't raise my hand because at the time we were still focused on this other strategy. I didn't really believe that that was an option. Um, you were just focusing on your part. I of was focusing, and I believe I was extremely passionate about the strategy that my team was doing. I was very, you know, sort of explicit about promoting that strategy internally. Like every time we had a good month, I was, you know, the first one saying, "Hey, look at this! Look at this! Like this is working. Mm -hmm. We should invest more here. We should invest more here." And I and I did. You know, I did push that I believe that we should shift the strategy. Um, I, it just, I think I was just so focused on that that it didn't quite occur to me. Of course, you know, the second that, it, that I realized that was an option, I was like, yes, please. You know, I, I wasn't shy about it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think the lesson there is uh, I wish I had seen that more. And, and I, I actually think, like, what it hopefully will go to show is, like, you don't, you should, you don't have to be confined by the very set uh, career path, even in a large organization. And you, sh you know, there there are examples. I'm one of them of people carving their own path and sort of defining their own path. 
Um, and so hopefully more people will kind of think of it that way and believe that you, you know, anything is possible and maybe be even more proactive than I was. Now, Vimeo is part of IEC and it's been part of IEC since 2006. What's Vimeo's relationship and your relationship like with the other parts of that business? Yeah, so IEC is a publicly traded company. You know, they uh, have, have a set of different internet businesses. Um, the relationship, you know, I think pretty, it's pretty similar to what a, probably a private company has with their board or their investors. Um, you know, we are very focused on our mission to empower creators and sort of the market opportunity ahead. And the relationship is, is more like an invest, you know, with our investors. So it's important for us to, um, you know, get their feedback and buy in on our strategy. And of course, they're the ones funding that strategy. So uh, we do have, I think, a good relationship. Um, what I think is interesting about IAC is uh, they, they're sort of the anti-conglomerate is mm -hmm. sort of the term that they've used in that they really don't force a lot of formal integration um, or, or sort of collaboration between the businesses. So in, in many ways, you know, we're totally free to uh, operate Vimeo as, as we want and as we think makes sense. Um, but there are, there are times when you know, our sister companies uh, in the portfolio have experienced the learning and then it's really more just, you know, I would call up that CEO and, um, and we can share learnings. But it's nothing super formalized. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes from a, from a belief that you know, they don't want to hamper the businesses by trying to force um, sort of synergies between them. So is there a lot of cross-pollination where you guys can you can go over to one of the other IEC businesses or someone from the other business can come to you. Yeah, there is, but it happens, I would say, almost entirely informally, mm -hmm. meaning uh, it really is more uh, up to the leaders of those businesses to say, hey, I'd love, you know, to speak with this person about, you know, this project or I'm having a problem. And I do think we have a very good relationship with each other, but it's not, it is not something where, you know, if we wanted to work with um, you know, a company for a partnership, we would need to kind of get slowed down because there's three other IAC businesses trying to do the same thing. Now, in contrast to YouTube, and you've pointed this out several times, uh, Vimeo doesn't show any ads. And so your revenue comes entirely from creators who pay for the services that you guys offer um, or content uh, to license as well. Talk about what Vimeo stock is and how that idea came about, how it grew. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, in Q4, we launched Vimeo Stock, which is a marketplace for creators to sell their footage and license their footage. Um, raw footage. Raw footage, um, B-roll, you know, landscape shots, all the like stuff you would you would typically think of. Um, they're able to license and monetize that content um, to other creators or businesses or agencies or brands or filmmakers that need it. Um, and this is an example. It's an interesting one. Uh, the reason we actually got into this is, is actually somebody at Vimeo, our, our, the person running our video production team, uh, came to me and said, uh, look, I'm struggling because I want, you know, we're, we're producing a bunch of videos for our own marketing, and um, I can't shoot all the footage myself, mm -hmm. and I, wanna, I, I, I would like to do stock footage, but I'm not, the quality of that footage that I see out in the existing market, it's not up to our standards. And so the, the question that we asked ourselves is we have an incredible creator community. We want them to succeed. They have wonderful content. Can we launch um, a marketplace that will actually elevate the creative standards of stock footage? Um, and can we do it in a cost-effective way that puts more money in creators' pockets and allows more people to access that footage at an affordable price? And so when we launched this marketplace, we launched with a ton of exclusive content that had never been licensed before from some of the most talented folks in our community. Um, the revenue that those creators sort of keep from that footage is, is higher than others in the industry um, materially. And, um, and we were able to kind of, because we have these subscription plans, uh, bundle some of the offering into subscription plans. So if you're a business and you're already using Vimeo for certain tools, you can actually purchase the stock footage at a, at a lower price. What's the stock footage that's most in demand? That sells the best. Oh, it's uh, it's mostly landscape, like the sort of landscape shots, the cityscapes. Okay. Um, 4K footage does incredibly well, um, but it's a it's a pretty wide wide variety. What's the strangest footage? Oh, um, that you that you would not There's some animated. Imagine? There's some animated 
uh, like stop motion anima animation footage that's, it's just, it's just interesting. I don't know, I actually, I, I've seen some stuff where I'm like, I wonder how that's being used. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, and look, at, we're still in the early days of that. But, and really, the, the idea there is, uh, as we invest in tools and technology for creators, you know, we're also thinking about our community and how do we take the fact that there are so many creators on, on the platform and so many businesses on the platform, how do we actually help connect those two groups? Because at the end of the day, businesses need quality footage, they need help making videos, and our creators need work. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is an example of if we can effectively connect those two groups, both will succeed and we'll be putting more videos out in the world. Would you describe Vimeo as a, a media company? I would not. Uh, I would. I don't think of us as a media company. It was I, once upon a time. Yeah, yeah. And I, I always say we're not. A, I don't think we're a media company. We're not a content company. I think we are a, a technology company, and I think we're a community. And those are the things that uh, what I have heard resoundingly from creators is what they need. And so, who would be your competition then? Because YouTube was once upon a time, but yeah. now the now creators are, now can put their content on yeah, Vimeo. I, I on think uh, we have. In many ways, we've turned many of our competitors into partners, um, and and the reality is uh, there are there are players who do parts of what we do, mm -hmm. um, and we compete with them in different ways. Uh, but there really isn't anybody else out there trying to solve sort of the entire video workflow from the second that you have inspiration for idea an idea for a video. How do you even get that inspiration to actually? getting a video made and collaborating with your team to get it perfect, to putting it out and distributing it, to potentially monetizing it and building your own video business, sort of that that end-to-end -end solution. Um, I don't actually think there is a, a direct competitor. What I say to the team is our biggest competition is really ourselves and our ability to execute on sort of this mission. And you have a team of people who watch all the videos that your creators create. They make staff picks, and I mean, this is an antiquated idea, but these are people who make these decisions yeah. as opposed to algorithms. Yes, that, humans instead of algorithms. Yeah, they turn it out, like <laughs> Netflix or YouTube. What's the thinking behind that? Why is it so much more important for you to have people yep. making these subjective decisions? Yeah, so, um, so the, the reason it's important is because we are not, again, trying to just get videos to get the most views so that we can monetize those views. Although you have advertising. that data. Though we have that data, but we are not trying to do that. In fact, for us, um, our, we call, it's our curation team. They really exist to provide inspiration to the community, to provide creators with um, not the stuff that might be getting the most views, but just examples of people that are pushing the boundaries of storytelling. And actually, they're explicitly looking for the things the, the quality work, the inspiring work that isn't going to get caught by an algorithm. Um, and so that's it's actually incredibly important for us and we do a lot of work to try and honor those videos and then elevate them. And there's been um, you know, hundreds of, of creators who their careers have been launched because they've gotten staff picked. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, you know, for us again, that's, that's the mission. So give us an example of one of your favorite videos from 2018 that um, might not be recognizable to a lot of people that yeah. something that uh, one of your curators right. might have handpicked. Yeah, so it's, it's actually really is interesting. Um, this weekend at Sundance, uh, there is a, a creator, um, her name's Manal Baig, and she is a staff picked uh, creator. Uh, she's been staff picked three times. She had done a short a few years ago, um, and uh, uh, the, the short is called uh, Hale, and it's the story of a Muslim American girl, teenager, who's kind of going through, um, sort of balancing two parts of her, her, her culture mm -hmm. as she's growing up. It's a coming of age story. Um, and it's in a great example of uh, somebody who, she put the short out there, she put it on Vimeo, she was staff picked, um, and then eventually, uh, I think Jada Pinkett Smith collaborated with her, and she now has a feature film um, that just got picked up last uh, this weekend by Apple at Sundance. Um, and based on the short. Uh, and so, you know, I, the reality is there are lots of stories like that. And I think it's, you know, part of it is, you know, what can we at Vimeo do by, by finding that content and again, put sort of elevating it so people learn about it. But it's also the, the community, right, that gets created of all these staff creators and they're sharing their stories with each other, they're helping each other. Um, and so those are the those are the the journeys that we like to see and promote. 
Um, and, uh, and so she's a great example. If we go back to your personal journey, you're yeah. an Indian American woman. Uh, you have a father who is an entrepreneur who had his own business. Talk a little bit about whether you ever felt there was any stereotypes placed on you or imposed on you as you made your way up. Yeah, um, certainly I think there were probably more, you know, for me, I, you know, I, I, my first job was in investment banking. Um, and I, you know, I, there weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of people that looked like me in investment banking. Uh, and I remember just always feeling like I had to project a certain type of, uh, sort of leadership style or communication style. And I had to sort of conform in, in a, in a specific way. Did that come naturally um, to you? I didn't, I didn't struggle with it because I just figured that's like what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, like it impacted the way, you know, the way I dress, the way I communicate. Um, and now I think what's interesting is now I look back at that version of me and, uh, and I, you know, I think uh, I'm, I sort of reject that whole notion now. You know, I think uh, it's actually really, it's something I do very explicitly in, in, as CEO of Vimeo is try and really be myself mm -hmm. and hopefully create a culture internally where there isn't one definition of uh, like a strong leader um, or you know what does confidence mean or you know, I, and everyone should feel kind of comfortable being themselves but I, I, I do think for much of my career when I was younger I did not feel that way I did not feel like I could be totally myself and I often worried that I might be perceived in particular if I like admitted a mistake you know I might mm -hmm. be perceived as weak um, I always say I used to think that like vulnerability I was afraid to be vulnerable mm -hmm. and now I actually practice vulnerability all the time and I have found it to be an incredibly um, you know useful way to lead a company mm -hmm. um, and so you know I think that there, that does come from their stereotypes that sort of influence you and I wish I could have gone back to that that version of me and and sort of encouraged myself to be to be more real so practice your vulnerability right now. What's what's a mistake that you made uh, at Vimeo that yeah. you don't mind sharing because it sheds light on how you now think about approaching things? Yeah, uh, I make mistakes all the time, um, and I made a, a hell of a lot of mistakes uh, probably in the first sort of few months um, as as CEO. I think, look, I think this is the thing I learned is that as a leader it's your job to make the hard decisions so that your team doesn't have to. And um, when we were shifting and transitioning our strategy, I think I moved too slowly uh, to make changes uh, or in the organization, how we organize and our team. Um, and then we did an acquisition. We acquired something called Livestream. And I think I moved too slowly to integrate that business and, and sort of, again, make some of the structural changes you have to make. And it's hard because as a leader, you want validation that your decisions are right. But in many cases, you don't have perfect information and you, you just, you can't have that validation. And so you try, you have to do the best you can with the inputs you mm -hmm. have. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I moved too slowly. It took me, you know, many months to make certain changes that I, I definitely should have made earlier. When did you realize this or did someone say something that made you realize it? Um, no, I think it was more that like you, you know, I saw that certain things weren't working. You know, it's like uh, a, a great example is we had our teams were all broken out into separate divisions. There was the creator division and you know the content division, and um, and I didn't sort of integrate everything, even though our strategy was now fully focused on creators. And so um, you know, and part of it was it's just hard, and you don't want to disrupt people, you don't want to change. If somebody came in with this job, you don't want to suddenly change that. Um, you know, you'll make some mistakes. There'll be, you know, some people who won't be happy along the way. And that, I moved way too slow in doing that. And I think it just slowed us down as an organization. Um, and so now I always say to myself, like, you have to have a certain amount of confidence that you're making the right decision. But I always think of it through the lens of the team. And it's like, am I doing them a disservice mm -hmm. by sort of hedging mm -hmm. um, and not being willing to just make the hard decisions? Uh, and so I try and do that better now. It's still really not easy, but I do think that's my job. Now, you recently came back from maternity leave. Anjali has a three-month-old baby boy. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, you took maternity leave as well. Um, 
how did that go? And were you checking in constantly while you were on leave? How was that transition back to work? Are you back full time? Are you working part time? Yeah. yeah. So um, when I when I found out I was pregnant, you know, I I planned I wanted to take full maternity leave. Vimeo offers four months paid leave um, for mothers uh, and three months for fathers. And uh, I was you know I was. I'm taking the full maternity leave. I am taking it. I've taken two months right now, and then we have it's flexible, so I'm taking the, the other two months um, over the next year. Mm -hmm. And uh, but what I would tell you is, first of all, I have uh, I had no idea what parenthood was like, and the level of empathy I now have, at, even you know only three months in, uh, I look back at so many things I did as a leader, even with my team before that I think I didn't appreciate um, sort of. The, the stresses that um, and trade-offs and challenges that come and I now feel like so much more aware of it um, but I think the biggest lesson that I learned is everybody's different mm -hmm. and you frankly you have absolutely no idea how you're gonna feel um, and what you're gonna want and I I really believe that flexibility is is really important um, for parents um, and so for me I'm, I'm kind of doing it my way uh, I I was the mom who was kind of uh, disappeared for a period of time, and then I really missed work, and I wanted to kind of dip in and out and, and be able to, to be involved, and luckily I was able to do that with the way our leave is, as well as my team being wonderful and flexible, um, as well as a lot of support from my family and friends and, and, and help, you know, like I had all of these resources. I, I think overall what I've realized is it's really hard. I had no idea how hard it was. Um, I'm, I'm probably more fortunate definitely more fortunate than most. And I think organizations, I'm really interested in how Vimeo as a company and how organizations more and more can provide that flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, and really just remove the stigma of like guilt that I think so many parents constantly feel. Um, and I do think, sorry, that might be me. That's okay, um, just move your mic down a little bit. Uh, it's right here. Uh, I do think that like as organizations and companies where you spend so much of your time, you know, you're not going to get the most out of your team. Mm -hmm. uh, they won't be their most productive uh, selves if they aren't able to sort of fluidly integrate these two parts of their life. And it can't always be a feeling of like you're failing at one, you're failing at the other. So I think there's a lot of work to do there. Um, and I'm very interested in ways that Vimeo can do that. Well, by taking leave and taking flex leave at that, you know, if you take off a day per week, for instance, you also give everyone else the okay that if you're the CEO and you're doing it, others can do it as well. Yeah. And it's okay. Um, I know that Vimeo is your dream job. You have no intention of leaving it. But as someone who has always wanted to run companies and grow companies, what's the dream company that you would want to work for to grow? Oh, that is a great question. Um, an existing company? Yeah. Oh. That's really good. Or an organization, um, if not a company. Yeah, you know, that's a, uh, I'll give an example of, uh, so I, I, as I said, I think business has this, has a lot of power to positively mm -hmm. impact the community. Um, and uh, there's, there are a lot of examples like of nonprofits in general who, they, they don't quite operate at the same pace yes. of a startup. And they haven't yet been able to use technology in the same way that a lot of for-profit businesses have. Um, so I think I'd be really interested in bringing a lot of the sort of learnings we've had at Vimeo, sort of a lean, scrappy, technology-first startup. Uh, how can that be used to uh, make uh, a nonprofit with a, sort of the appropriate mission really successful? I think an example of a company is actually a Vimeo user uh, that I think does this really well is Charity Water. Mm -hmm. um, they have a really sort of like startup tech approach um, which, you know, nonprofits are strapped. They're strapped for resources, and they want all of their resources to go towards the people that they're trying to help. Um, and so I think there's an opportunity there uh, that would be very interesting. All right, let's open it up to questions from the audience. We have a microphone, and I see this gentleman in the back raising his hand now. If we could get him a mic. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so now that Vimeo is firmly focused on helping creators, I'm curious about your thoughts on AI services like Microsoft's Video Indexer and Amazon Recognition to provide more actionable data for your creators, whether that's 
speech to text for subtitling on social or generating hashtags that could be used for helping a video go viral or even adding metadata to stock to make it more sellable and reachable? Yeah. Um, so uh, all of those things. <laughs> uh, no, there's, um, we, uh, when we acquired uh, Livestream as a company that spent 10 years in the, in the world of live, they had developed uh, AI-assisted live editing technology that effectively you know, allows when you, when you are live streaming, um, you know, it's using AI to optimize uh, the shots in a live stream. And one of the reasons we were so interested in that is doing, using AI in a live context is actually much harder than doing it in, in sort of an on-demand context. Um, and so that was, that was actually uh, that technology we now have and is one that we can harness in many of the ways you're talking about. We've also been building up our machine learning research and capabilities um, and hiring up more of a team there to uh, sort of make sure that we are using machine learning to do those things. I think of everything that you just mentioned, uh, really all of them are, are things that we, we are working on. But uh, for me, probably the most interesting use of uh, AI is a related to, you know, I mentioned the data piece and being able to feed back insights um, on how to be more successful with your video. What I think would be very interesting for us if we, if we can kind of figure out the right way to do this at scale is um, how are we coupling those insights with then the AI so that you are able through Vimeo to not only know what to, to adapt, but that we're actually doing it for you. Uh, and I think you know, that, that might not apply to long form storytelling and a lot of the types of content we have on the platform, but certainly if you're making a 15 second you know, video for Instagram, um, and you need to do 10 of them a month, uh, and the ability for us to use AI for you to do that successfully while also maintaining your standards for quality storytelling and narrative storytelling, that's kind of the holy grail. Um, and so, you know, I can't tell you we figured it out <laughs> yet, but I do think we have, uh, we sort of have the teams and the intellectual property and the capabilities to really push, push there. Uh, this woman in front. Uh, let's get you a microphone. Oh, good. I'm pretty loud anyway. <laughs> um, thank you for. I was looking forward to this because I've been a happy Vimeo user for years. Um, I have Diamond Runway, and it, I, we didn't. I didn't really want to put like these great videos on YouTube because it just wasn't a match. So the fact that you have Vimeo and the the appearance is just much more conducive. My question is: um, Were you interesting? You and your colleagues interestingly watching Patreon. Um, with what had happened, and they had some really uh, very successful, per, uh, very successful content creators, who um, one of them got booted, and then two of the most successful creators simply packed up and left. Um, be, uh, at least two of them, because one got booted for what was a basically a, a decision that it wasn't quite appropriate. Does that make you more and more happy that you see yourself as a technology provider and not a media? And how how, how did you all sit back and watch that? Yeah, that's a that's a fascinating question. Um, yeah, look, I think it's an it, you know Vimeo is an interesting an interesting place. We are user generated you know user generated content platform, um, and we do have to sort of have community guidelines and 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 sort of make decisions as often. But at the same time, we are now, you know, we're a technology enabler, which means we should really be agnostic to the types of content on the platform. And I think, look, the approach we've taken is um, when it's not on Vimeo, like, we're, it's technology. It is for you to do whatever you can, you know, you can do with it. When it's on our website, there are a certain level of, of guidelines, um, uh, community guidelines that we adhere to. And I, and I would say in today's world where there's so much um, sort of conversation and in controversy about this. Uh, you know, my goal is really to just be as consistent, uh, as, as internally consistent as possible, which is let's remove, I, you know, we want to remove as much sort of individual decision making and exceptions and bias as possible from the process. Um, and we have a variety of, of sort of mechanisms and processes that we use to do that. We're also, frankly, I think blessed though with uh, we don't have the same, I think, problems that many of the platforms have had, and it may be because of sort of our, our, our history as being more focused on sort of quality storytelling. I don't know, but I would say um, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky world to navigate, 
but uh, that's sort of the philosophy that we have about it. So when you say it's not on Vimeo, you mean it's not switched on so public can access it? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Right. Sorry, that's what I mean. Okay. Yeah. Available to outside users. Yes. Okay. Do we have anyone else? Uh, this gentleman in the front, and then we'll, we'll come to you afterwards. Hi. Hi. Um, I've read um, your article on LinkedIn, which kind of went into um, your career path and um, you know getting rejected by a bunch of investment banks before you sort of uh, you know found your way into a smaller role and push through. Can you talk a little bit more about resili resilience and also maybe um, you know what advice you have for people who are not looking to sort of start companies but more on the growth element and like using some of the skill sets um, that you've used um, today? Sure. Um, so look, I think I, in terms of resilience, it's for me it goes back to trying to have in many ways, it's good to have failed early and often because that's how you build resilience. And so when I, you know, when I got rejected from every big investment bank, and you know, in one of my interviews, they said, "You, you just don't seem like you have the personality of an investment banker." Um, you know, no, I mean, and like that happened. Actually, you're right. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I, yeah, I really didn't. Um, <laughs> but then to your benefit, <laughs> right? And but I think it's, you know, I. I, it, it is having that sort of, okay, you know, that person doesn't, doesn't get it, but that doesn't mean I can't do it. And it's sort of expecting to fail, right? You, you know, you approach a problem saying, I know I'm going to get a bunch of no's, but if I'm persistent enough, I'll find a way and I might have to get scrappy, right? I, I joined an investment bank uh, that had just, it was a startup investment bank, so no one had heard of it. Uh, and so, you know, I, and I was right before graduation. So, I, you know, that's how I kind of got in there. And um, so I think in terms of resilience, I think it comes from, uh, frankly, like practice of failing and just doing it enough that you just develop the thick skin. Um, in terms of uh, sort of if you're somebody that doesn't necessarily want to start your own company, but you want to be able to influence and, and have a hot, large impact in a, in a bigger company. Um, so I think it's a couple things. One, as I said, I look where others aren't looking. You know, find the part places within your company uh, or within your industry where uh, you know there's not maybe not a lot of attention, but where you think there's something there, and then try and find um, low risk ways to validate that strategy. Um, don't be afraid to pitch ideas. Uh, the reason we one of the reasons we launched Vimeo stock footage, as I said, is our, our video had a video production pitched it to me, and then he launched it. I gave him a team, and he built you know a scrappy team, and he built it in six months, and uh, and then he's you know he's leading it. Um, and so don't be afraid to like pitch ideas. Um, and I think maybe maybe the, the last sort of thing that I uh, have experienced is, especially if you're trying to um, make traction within an organization where there's a, there's a, usually there's a CEO or decision maker, frame frame your solution, bring a solution, and frame it in a way that that will matter to them. You know, if somebody walks into my office and says, Anjali, I have a great way for us to better empower creators and grow our business, I'm going to listen, right? And, uh, and if it's a totally different strategy and that person's passionate about it, I'm going to find a way to give them an opportunity to figure it out. Uh, and I don't think I realized that until I sat in this seat. Now I, I wish more people actually brought those solutions mm. and ideas. The reality is you never want to be the only person in the room with the ideas. That's not a good place to be. Um, and so I think, you know, just, just don't be afraid to, to put them out there. How do you create that culture to make sure people come to you and feel comfortable about pitching these ideas? Yeah, the, the reality is uh, I thought I could just say it and people would be comfortable and that's, that, is not the, that is not the case. Um, but, you know, I think there's, there's a couple of different ways. It, it, at Vimeo, we do have, I think, uh, it starts with one person, right? Somebody becoming the CEO after they pitch an idea. Then it's the next big launch comes from somebody pitching an idea. Then you have a couple different people in the organization who start in one function or level and completely you know, move up to something totally different. That helps create the culture. The other thing is there are other ways to solicit ideas, right? So uh, when we come up with our product roadmap process, making sure that we actually you know, have surveys where we get inputs from everyone at the company. Um, hackathons, we, do, we call them Vimeo jams. And it's, you know, it's how do we actually explicitly encourage people to work with other teams and come up with ideas? Um, and, and then how do we, based on that, actually translate them into putting resources against them? 
So I think there are other, there are more formal ways to do it. Mm -hmm. But to build that culture, you have to have examples, and you, those examples have to be visible. Mm. Um, and so I do think it's giving people opportunities and then and highlighting those very openly. And this woman over here. Hi, uh, my name is Kathleen Gowder. Uh, I work for Instant Magazine, and just first of all, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Like you, I can't. I, you seem really down to earth. I, I mean, so uh, at least your impressions are great. Um, but uh, question for you, and I really hate to ask this question because I hate to bring gender into it. But I'm sorry, it's still a thing. Uh, you know, what advice do you have for women in business, women in tech? Because for me, I've experienced a lot of different hurdles with that. And really, any advice that you have for uh, aspiring female CEOs? Yeah. Um, it's, like it's a it's a great question, uh, and I, it's one I get asked a lot. And I'm always, you know, it's hard because I. In many ways, I want to project my experience and sort of on others. But the reality is, there are actually very few people that have had the experience that I have had. A um, couple of piece, couple sort of things I've learned. Um, when you're looking for a job, there are signals that you can get that will help you see if it's going to be a culture that will sort of match your goals and your ambitions. And um, I think. As women, and just for, really for anyone, like you should be as strategic about your career as you are about launching a product or you know the work that you do at a business. You should be as strategic. And so a great example is when I was deciding to leave Amazon and come to Vimeo, I looked at the LinkedIn profiles of the senior executives at Vimeo and the senior executives of our parent company IAC, and I noticed that there were a bunch of people that didn't have a lot of experience that had been put into positions of leadership over the years. And that was my signal, right? That, okay, there's something about the culture here that seems to reward talent over experience. And um, I'm somebody who I'm really ambitious and I want to do a lot and I don't have a lot of experience, so maybe that would be a good place for me. Um, you know, look for signals of other women within the organization that have been given opportunities and who are, you know, celebrated. Uh, those are, I think, ways that you can be strategic about your own career and kind of make sure you don't end up in a situation where you think, you know, it's going to be one thing and, and, it's, and it's not. Um, the other thing I would say is, and I, I wish you didn't, I wish we didn't have to do this, but uh, I have found for me, the best way to combat any potential bias or like stereotypes or challenges related to my gender has just been to be as focused on objective numbers and results as possible. So to try and make it less about the personality or the person and more about the output. Uh, and so you know, an example is when when my team we were focused on the creator side of the business. You know, I waited until we had a really great quarter of strong results. And you know, at that time, you know, I really tried instead of trying to push about my strategy and my position, I really tried to focus on the fact that like this is this strategy is delivering results. Here's what they are, um, and I've just found that like the more objective you can be, it's not always easy, but the more objective you can be, the easier it's been to kind of combat um, some of that other noise. So I hope that helps. You craft a story around the numbers, about the around the outcome. Yeah, yeah. Final question. <clears throat> we have time for one final question from the audience. Anyone? This gentleman over here. Hi. <clears throat> How does being an LLC, essentially a private company, uh, well, does that give you more flexibility in doing the kinds of things you're talking about than if you were a public corporation? I don't think I heard you once in your remarks refer to investors or, you know, uh, meeting certain financial targets or anything like that. Yeah. So um, it's really give me that's interesting because you know we are. Uh, we're, we're owned by a public company. And I think that that does come with, with sort of pluses and minuses. But generally, you know, if you're a startup and you have to worry about cash flow, you're spending a lot of your time fundraising. And that is something we at Vimeo, you know, we, we are fortunate to not have to be worrying about, which means I have more time to think about execution and our strategy, um, which is great. At the same time, we are owned by a public company, and that public company does have you know, investors and quarterly earnings obligations. Um, and I think for us, the way we have tried to kind of think about it is uh, the, the risk of that is that you can be more short-term thinking and not long-term thinking. And so I think for us, really, the key has been uh, that relationship that we have with our parent company 
And uh, you know, it's really my job to make sure that we don't, because of any sort of short-term obligations that we have, uh, that we don't lose sight of the long-term. At the same time, I will say, what I've learned is some of that sort of being part of a public company and having some of that, that uh, more short-term milestones, it actually can be a really good way to add discipline and rigor. So I try to think of it as like, how can we benefit from this structure to provide more discipline and rigor, not lose sight of the long term. And uh, you know, I'm very grateful that I don't spend all my time fundraising. Keeps you on track, basically. Yeah. All right, Anjali Sue, thank you so all right, much. Thank you all very much. Thanks for listening, and be sure to follow Tech at Bloomberg on Twitter, like Cornell Tech at Bloomberg on Facebook, or visit the Cornell Tech at Bloomberg podcast homepage to sign up for invites to future events in this series. You can also watch any of the interviews from this event series on Inside Bloomberg on YouTube.